Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. Hello, I am so excited to share this interview with you today. I sat down with Dr. Vanessa Sweet, who is an anesthesiologist, and she is preparing for the biggest challenge of her career and that is being on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this conversation, we talked about how training your mindset has been a crucial part of her medical training that's gotten her to the place where she is today, how to thrive in times of crisis, and also how imposter syndrome is showing up for her right now and the other doctors that she works with and how she is overcoming this because she is gonna be the one on the front lines, intubating the patients that need the most care and giving them oxygen so that they can breathe. I'm so honored that Vanessa was able to take the time from her busy schedule to talk with me. And I'm really grateful that I can share this with you today. Hey, before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Ambitious Every Day. It is all of the exercises that I take my coaching clients through in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals. And here's the great news. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you get 11 pages of the journal for free as a PDF right to your inbox. So head on over to ambitiontheory.ca and sign up. I am so excited about this interview today. I have right here with me, Dr. Vanessa Sweet, who is an anesthesiologist here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And she is getting ready to take on one of the biggest challenges of her career. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming. Can you introduce yourself and explain exactly what you do as an anesthesiologist? Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is this is fun and totally outside of my usual day-to-day uh, existence. Um, so like you've mentioned, I am an anesthesiologist. I am a faculty member here at Dow in the Department of Anesthesia in Halifax. Um, but most of my clinical time is actually uh, at one of the community hospitals just across the harbor in Dartmouth, um, where we give anesthetics. So we've got a number of different specialties there, do a lot of sort of bread and butter anesthesia stuff in a group of seven anesthesiologists. Um, And I've been over there for a few years now. Um, And right now, uh, we are getting ready for the COVID onslaught that is about to happen. We don't know exactly how that's going to look, but that's what we're sort of in the midst of right now is preparing for that. Um, Otherwise, uh, I am married. I have a little girl who is five years old. So that's Fun. And then in my spare time, I am plugging away at my master's in healthcare quality right now. Um, and then when I'm not busy with all of that, I knit. So you have a lot going on right now in your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we talk about what's happening today and kind of in the next coming weeks and months, I want you to take me back and describe when you knew you wanted to become a doctor. So it's an interesting question and it's a little bit tricky to answer because as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a doctor, save for a brief period in maybe grade primary where I wanted to be a ballerina. Oh, and primary is kindergarten for people from outside of Nova Scotia. Um, Keep going. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So in my primary slash kindergarten uh, range, wanted to be a ballerina, but I've never taken a dance class in my life. Um, but no, I've always been the, I was always a smart girl in class. Um, I've always loved science um, and have loved picking picking stuff apart and, and understanding why things work and how things work and particularly life sciences um, and the why behind the why and how behind how our bodies work and what happens when they don't work. Um, the plan had always been, you know, be a doctor and I, and what I was going to do is be a family doctor, you know, go to medical school, train, do my family medicine residency and then come back and be a rural family physician in Nova Scotia. Um, but late in my medical school career, we did our mandatory anesthesia rotation and I just fell madly in love with it. Everything just sort of really crystallized for me at that point and realized that I was really quite well suited to that specialty. Um, I have always loved, um, I've loved when things go slightly sideways in life. I love when there's an adrenaline rush. I love when things are maybe not going exactly as planned and, and all of the excitement, um, that happens around that. And so anesthesia was a really interesting mix for me in terms of, you know, having really unique patient interactions. It's not this, you know, multi-year longitudinal cradle to grave relationship that you get in family medicine. It's this really unique, you know, I have 10 minutes to meet you, learn about you, instill some degree of trust in, in our relationship. Um, and you tend to meet people in really high stakes situations. So I love that aspect of the patient physician relationship. I love being in the operating room. I love the procedural side of things. I love the um, excitement of when things go sideways. Um, and anybody who knows me will tell you that I am a control freak and uh, anesthesia and anesthesiologists are very... Um, we, we like having things a certain way. And so my personality is very well suited to, to anesthesia as a specialty. Um, a lot of people, you know, talk about anesthesia as being 99% boredom, 1% terror. And I just, that's partly true, but I, but I love that. I love that about it. And it, it sounds like you thrive in that terror. Like you're just, you're ready to step up. You can figure it out. You like the details. You've done all this yes. training. So you kind of thrive in that kind of 1% terror it sounds like yeah yeah it's um we've sort of joked that we're professional catastrophizers um that our our existence is a lot around anticipating the worst possible outcome and being prepared for it and then just really digging in when you find yourself in that situation which is really fun okay i'm really ex interested in the career journey to get you to the point where you're able to look at a situation like this. Because I think for most people that I talk to on this podcast, there's kind of two th things that I think are really different than you. Is one, a lot of people I talk to have these winding road career paths. Like they'll go down one road, they'll study something in school, maybe yeah. get a job in that, and then switch. And there's a lot of freedom to move around. But that is really different from you. But yes. also yeah. I'm wondering how it went from that curiosity, that learning that you said when you were younger, it was like about that curiosity, about the learning to this, we're going to solve these problems. We're getting ready for this disaster and how that shift happened in your training and in your career. Can you yeah. explain that? Yeah. So I think you're, you're right in that, you know, 
the path to become a physician is not a short one. So there's a huge time investment that you have to make in that, you know, so you're doing at minimum an undergraduate degree, you're doing your medical degree, you're doing residency training. If you subspecialize, you're doing fellowship training. If you happen to have done a master's or a PhD in there, that adds more years to it. So it's a huge time investment. It's a huge financial investment. It's a huge investment from the people in your life. You know, that like that was a huge sacrifice that my husband and my daughter have had to make to, to get me here. So there's a lot that, that goes into that. Um, and then, yeah, I think for anesthesia in particular, um, one of the, one of the things that we do and the way that we train, um, is to help us think about how we think. Um, so during the anesthesia residency, during any residency in general, but um, anesthesia in particular, you know, it's this sort of graded responsibility. You start, you learn the basics, and as you, um, as you develop your skills, you're given more and more sort of freedom to spread your wings and try things on for size, and a little bit more freedom to to fail safely, and, and then grow from there. And what is a huge part of anesthesia training in particular, um, which has really made those um, sort of high stakes situations more fun and enjoyable and, and an environment in which you can thrive is a lot of the simulation that we do. So in anesthesia in particular, any specialty and really any any career, any life, you're, you're, there, there are always going to be these situations that are either high stakes or they're rare or, um, you know, the they're going to be really big, either must do or cannot do types of things that are going to be really important at some point. In anesthesia in particular, those situations tend to also unfold really quickly. And so you don't have the benefit of months or weeks or days or even hours to figure it out. Literally seconds can make the difference. And so we do tons and tons and tons of simulation. So it's a, you know, we have really high fidelity simulation labs that we'll go to and we will run detailed scenarios of some catastrophe that you may never actually see in your career, but it gives you the chance to go through it in a very realistic manner that's a safe place to fail, a safe place to try stuff out, a safe place to work on your mental model and your framework for how I deal with this situation. And so... I think the most important thing that that does is it teaches you to think about how you're thinking about things. And so you might not have all the details worked out. You might not know all the specifics of the situation, or if you run into this later in your career, you know, there, there may be some details that don't unfold exactly as you expected, but you've got the basics and you've got the central framework down so that when and if you're presented with a situation, you're going to for sure hit those critical items along the way. And that I think builds a, a sense of safety and a sense of confidence that even if I don't exactly know what's going on, I have, I have a plan for how I'm going to get from A to B. I have a system for how I'm going to figure it out. I have a way that I'm going to troubleshoot this problem and I've got a path for how I'm going to move forward. And if you've got that, then you can kind of dig into the, the uncertainty of it and enjoy the adrenaline rush of it because you're not figuring out how to figure it out.
if that makes sense. Totally, 100%. And so do you do this as part of your schooling or is this also ongoing? So that is a huge part of our training in residency. Definitely it's part of medical school, but particularly in anesthesia because they tend to be higher stakes scenarios. We spend a lot of time in simulation running through these critical events where you don't want to be figuring this out for the first time on a real person in a stressful situation without help, without backup. So it, it lets you run through these things. Um, and we do that over and over again with either high stakes situations or rare situations that we may never have the chance to encounter otherwise and lets us get feedback from our peers and feedback from our our mentors, our staff, um, and reflect on the situation and how we might have done things differently and, and help over time build and expand that framework that we're using as we go forward. So that made up a huge part of my residency training, but it's also something that we do on an ongoing basis um, at work um, and what we're doing a lot of right now. Um, we've done that with, you know, within the anesthesia department, we were doing it in multidisciplinary teams so that we understand where other people are coming from and how other mental models of a situation might integrate with ours. And, and so, yes, it's, it's very helpful on an ongoing basis. Okay, so I'm really curious, as you're going through this training, you're failing all the time, you're trying, you're learning these issues, and you're doing it now to get ready for this mm -hmm. upcoming, or this pandemic that we're facing right now. Um, did you hit any roadblocks along the way, either mentally, physically, with the team? I'm yes. I'm curious. Every day, all the time. Um, Every day. Tell me about these. Yes. But that's the point of this, right? Is to find um, to find the problems, to find the the risks in your plan, to find the holes in your plan, to find the areas where the way that we're thinking about it or approaching it might fall apart. Um, so we're we're experiencing that every day right now. So I um, came back from my vacation in Hawaii and then got to sit at home and develop all of these lovely checklists and plans and algorithms from the comfort of my couch, um, which all look perfect, obviously. Okay, uh, so let's kind of rewind yeah. a little bit. So okay, you sure. went to Hawaii on vacation yes. for March yes. break, but because yes. you were traveling in the States, you had to sit in your house for two weeks quarantine Correct. after. Yes. And you were yes. reading all the online documents, the checklists, yes. all the yeah. knowledge of things yes. to prepare you to tackle this yeah. pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Now so, keep the story going. Yeah. So I got to spend two weeks doing that and, you know, both digging into everything that everybody else has put together from across the province, the country, the world, and then try to adapt that for our specific hospital environment and our, our situation. So, you know, we put together these beautiful documents about how this is all going to unfold and this is going to be perfect. We're going to do A, B, C, D, E. And then I go back to work on Monday and we start trying it out and trying it out in real time with teams. You know, we, we don't have a patient yet, but we're, we're going through all of the motions with everybody who's in the team. And then we start to see all of the, the gaps in our plan and all of the practical realities of this framework that we've created. And so then we do it again and then we find different holes. And so, so it's all about running it over and over and over again to find the weaknesses, to find the areas that you need to build things up, where you need to change things, where you need to clarify things so that everybody who's involved has the same 
or as close to the same mental model or framework from which we're we're operating. There's no way that as a as an individual or as a team, we're going to be able to predict all of the fine details of all of the situations that we're going to encounter. Nobody has any presumption that we're going to be able to do that. But what we want to do is make sure that our plans are thorough and that we've thought of all of the major things that could derail us. We've thought about what we're going to do if we encounter those things. Um, but that our plans are, yes, thorough, but also simple enough that they're practical and they're usable. You know, you can create this beautiful, detailed plan that's impossible to execute, and that isn't useful. You can also really oversimplify things so that you're missing key things and you're putting yourself and the patients at risk. And so it's about finding that, that in-between and going through it with people so that you know what to expect and they know what to expect and you can kind of be on the same page. So I love that you talked about the difference between theory and practicalities Yeah, because it's so interesting. So my work, I work with business people all day long. Yeah. Um, And I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn yesterday who is also a doctor in Canada preparing for this. And she sent me a message that said, Andrea, I was wondering if you knew of any courses, online resources, or groups around confidence in women leaders or people in high pressure situations. I want to learn more about confidence and medicine to use to help myself and my colleagues. And what you just said brought up this quote that I have from a book and I'm wondering if I can read it to you and I want to see if this jives for you. And this is a book. I think it's mostly geared towards business people, but the way you describe the way that you're preparing is the exact same principle that um, the authors of this book. So this is book called the confidence code and it's two journalists. They interviewed every single expert read every study about confidence. So all academic research. And I want to read a quote from the book, and this is one of my favorite favorite quotes. It says, when in doubt, act. Every piece of research we have studied and every interview we have conducted leads to the same conclusion. Nothing builds confidence like taking action, especially when the action involves risk and failure. So when you were describing like you being at home preparing I don't know if that was actually building your confidence, but when you actually went into that simulation and were you do it, when you were doing it yeah. and you were failing, that is actually really what you need to do. And it Absolutely. sounds like the system is already set up to help you build that confidence. Absolutely. It's one of the, one of my favorite things to, to tell students as, as ridiculous as this might sound is fake it till you make it. You, you have to do it. You have to try it. Um, you know, sitting at home and, and having all of this theoretical knowledge is great. And that's an important piece of it, but that is nothing compared to actually trying it. Perfection is the enemy of the good and you have to actually do something, even if it's not perfect, do it. And you will learn from that and you will do it better next time. You can't do it better unless you do it and you find out what didn't work, right? Um, You know, so to sit at home and create all of these plans, yeah, you feel good that you're getting something done, 
But the more that I put myself in those situations, the more that I practice, you know, even things that seem as straightforward as putting on and taking off my personal protective equipment. You have to do that. You can watch a hundred YouTube videos about it. You can read the page. You can read the checklist. You can read the outlines, but you have to do it and you have to suck at it and you have to have somebody point out that you sucked at it and you have to figure out how to do it better. That's where the confidence comes. And it's, it's important, I think, to when you're doing this and, and particularly when you're doing it within a team, I think it's important to make that a safe environment for people to fail in. And I think the more that you model that, the more it makes it okay for other people to model it as well. And it makes it a safe place for me to point out where somebody else could improve. And it also makes it okay for them to point out where I can improve. And I think particularly in the situation that we're in right now and in the medical environment and certainly in business too, where you have these hierarchies as well, that it's really important that people be able to speak across the hierarchies and call people out where they're seeing risk and where they're seeing skill. Um, to say, I really like the way you did that. That's great. We should do more of that. Or I worry about the way that this unfolded. I wonder if this might be a better idea. Um, but to just do it, you just have to do it. So just do it and have that feedback loop all yeah. across the hierarchy, up and down, both up and ways. Down. Yeah. And that's how you build it. And I think especially that high stakes situation, especially for someone senior, right? And it, because you have that open mm -hmm. feedback loop, it's like, well, if that junior person's going to point that out for me, the stakes are high, right? Yeah. If yeah. you're opening that up, if that's kind of fair game, the stakes are actually high for the senior experienced person to get called out by the junior person. So that actually will build the confidence of that person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you see a lot of, um, there's a lot of collaboration that's happening right now. A lot of flattening of the hierarchies that exist. And I think also the situations where the, that hierarchy maybe isn't getting as flat as it should, the consequences of that are magnified. You know, the higher stakes situation you find yourself in, um, the, the risks of not being able to take risks yourself to help others grow around you, the, the, the risks of not being able to do that are so much higher right now. Um, fake it till you make it. You just okay. have to keep doing it. <laughs> so I want to talk about this though, because we're preparing for, you're preparing for a pandemic. Other places in the world are already in it um, yeah. right here where you're not really every day going there dealing with it right now. You're getting ready, but at some point it's going to happen and you're going to have to step up. People are going to have to step up and just do it whether they feel ready or not. Yes. Right. So tell me about that. Um, so it's scary. And, and that's one of the things that we're, you know, as we go through this sim situations that we're doing right now, um, you know, and even, even today we had a couple of situations where, you know, does the patient have COVID-19? Do they not? We don't know, but we're going to treat them as though they do. Um, and um, there is a lot of uncertainty and fear that comes with that. Um, and so one of the, um, one of the things that is really important, particularly right now, um, is to make sure that we're doing a lot of debriefing with people as well and what worked, what didn't work. Tell me where you're at. Tell me how you're feeling about what's going on and what do we need to do? How do we need to adjust course so that everybody feels more confident the next time we do this? 
Um, and we're doing this again as a team. Nobody is in this alone. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, I love that. So it's like the team takes it on together. So the team is responsible yeah. to do it together. The team is responsible for everybody to be giving that feedback, learning, because you only learn by doing, right? And sometimes the, yeah. the, the higher the stakes, the more you learn. Absolutely. Um, and again, really one of the, the things that has come out is just the importance of flattening that hierarchy in these situations and the people who are, you know, lowest on the ranks feeling that safety to be able to, to, to speak to somebody who, you know, might otherwise appear to have, you know, a, a position of greater power than them to say, listen, I wasn't sure about how this happened, or I wasn't sure what you were thinking when that happened. Help me understand where you're at with that. And, and so that I can do better next time so that we can do better next time. Um, because yeah, we're, we're in this for the long haul. This is not a, this is not a one-off thing. This is going to be day in, day out for the foreseeable future. Okay. So in the one thing, this like from a business perspective, I want to, yep. I have this concept I want to share with you and I just want to know if it jives with you. So in business, I am all about getting more women into leadership. And part of that is yep. taking on a stretch role. And there is this stat, yep. this academic research that says women will apply for a job or that next level when they are 100% qualified, and then will apply at when they have 60% of the qualifications. And so that's the reality. And the thing is, the reality is, if you're moving up in the organization, you can't have all the skills. Because if, if you did, it would be a lateral move. You're not actually moving to the right. next level. Because yeah. if you're in the level before and you know how to do that thing, you're not actually moving up levels. So this concept of doing something that you're not ready for and that being normal and that being encouraged is something that happens every day in the business world. I'm just wondering, does that translate to medicine right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was translate to medicine. We were chatting beforehand about the, the circles of, of, you know, if, if comfort is in the middle and then you've got your growth zone and then you've got your panic zone, you can't grow if you just sit where you're comfortable. You're just going to stay here stagnant forever. Um, this situation is necessarily pushing a lot of people out of their comfort zone, but it's really fascinating and I think inspiring to look at how that is changing the way people are acting. Um, you know, so it, situations like this are huge. And I think it would be really easy to look at this and say, you know, I am not my department head. I am not the president of the national, you know, our Canadian anesthesia society. Who am I to presume that I have any authority to say anything about anything? You know, I, I am just a lowly little anesthesiologist. I, how am I possibly qualified? But so I just note all... you that what you just described is like <laughs> self-doubt and imposter syndrome and it shows up absolutely for everybody. And I just want to make a interjection on why it shows up because it goes back and well, actually you're a doctor, so you know more about evolution and science <laughs> than I do. So maybe you need to teach me this, but this is the way I understand it. Yeah. Um, is that it is a like that imposter syndrome, that self-doubt, it is the flight response. So it goes back to evolution where yeah. it's a danger zone. It's like, this is a new situation. I have never done this before. And yeah. that's where I think everybody 
is right now. And those thoughts, like, who am I to take this on? People are going to figure out I don't actually know what I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it's just like that flight response, that biological response. It's like, Hey, warning, you've never done this before leave. And that imposter syndrome is like the flight response telling you to not do it and hide. But the reality is if you could flip it the other way, it's like a warning sign that, wow, you've never done this before. Be careful. Practice putting on your protective equipment, reach back to all your experience and you step up and you show your A game and you take action as quickly as you can to move through it. Because yeah, once you take action, usually, I think like you talked about that adrenaline that comes when you're in that danger situation, you're like, once you start doing it, I'm sure that fear, that self-doubt, it goes away. It does. And you know, I don't even know that it ever necessarily goes away, but the things that cause you to have that self-doubt grow, right? So what I might have doubted myself, where I might have doubted myself today, if I take action and I do it, I might still doubt myself tomorrow, but it's going to be something bigger. And if I take action and do that, then I can grow and get something, you know, I, I can keep taking bigger and bigger and bigger steps, you know, and then I can look back and say, what scared the crap out of me two weeks ago is no big deal. Now I got this. This is fine. Right. You know, I I remember sitting through most of med school being terrified about the letter that I was going to get in the mail saying that, uh, we made a mistake. We totally didn't mean to admit you. You're not in med school. This is not a real thing. We made a mistake, you know? And so that obviously I know I went through med school and, and, you know, I got like stereotypical imposter syndrome. Absolutely. How did you get through it, Vanessa? Um, you just have to, you just have to keep, <laughs> go back to like fake it till you make it. You just have to keep doing it, you know? And, and so, okay, fine. I have my MD. Now I'm a pretend doctor, right? It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel, somebody's going to figure me out that I have no idea what I'm doing. But if you persist through it and if you find those places for growth and to get outside your comfort zone a little bit and, and grow your when you get outside your comfort zone, you grow your comfort zone, right? And, and so it makes it easier to, the circles, those concentric circles get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so then I know I'm a real doctor now. I don't have that imposter syndrome. I, there's, there is a little bit of that wrestle right now about like, am I qualified to be writing protocols for how we do something in our hospital? Am I qualified to be making decisions about these things that, you know, a year ago, I was not the person who would be making decisions about the way that we do this. Um, but if I just keep doing it, that will then be part of my comfort zone. And then the next thing will be a stretch. And if I persist in that, that gets folded into my comfort zone. And then it's the next biggest thing that's a stretch, you know, and then maybe someday I am department head or I'm president of the national association. Like that comfort zone grows and the growth zone grows too. And, and bigger and bigger, bigger things fall into the growth zone instead of being out in your panic zone. So the growth zone is an important place to be, but I think it's also important to be aware of the fact that, like I was saying, you look at these situations and they're crazy big and you know, I'm not running the WHO. Those are not decisions that I'm going to be making today. Um, but you just have to look in the situation for the opportunities that are there because they are there. Um, and there's so much that needs to be done right now that there is something for everybody to do, no matter how small, 
there is something for everybody to do. There is something for everybody to take the lead on, even if it's just in the way you're conducting yourself and in the way you are personally preparing for this. There, there is something for everybody to do and, and to grow in and to, to take on some degree of leadership and ownership of. Um, you know, our, the, the anesthesiologist in our group right now who is leading most of our COVID preparedness um, at the hospital, um, she is another young female physician who this is, this is like definitely in her growth zone, bordering on her panic zone, but it's incredible how wonderful a job she's doing of this because it just has to be done. You know, given the choice, maybe she wouldn't have, have chosen to do this, but but it's just incredible when somebody gets out there and does it. Um, you can kind of prove to yourself and prove to the people around you that, wow, I actually, I actually am capable of doing this. Um, and I think that's true no matter how big the task or how small the task. You just have to grab those little stretch things. I love that. You just need to step into that action and you do it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's really the yeah. only thing that we know that actually builds confidence is doing. Right. And, and if it's not comfortable, that's okay. That's good. Ideally, you're not in like the full on fight or flight panic mode, but you definitely need to be outside of your comfort zone. And, and those are going to be small things today, slightly bigger things tomorrow. Um, but you have to get outside of your comfort zone to, to combat that lack of confidence and, and lack of you can't grow otherwise, right? Personally, professionally, you, you can't grow if you don't step outside of your comfort zone. I love that you just said that, Vanessa. So that was amazing. So I have one more question. So we're actually friends. Our daughters are friends. Yeah. Our husband, Pat, was on the podcast as well, um, talking about working from home. But so we are friends. I am curious, how can people like me support people like you right now? Because I don't know anything about healthcare. <laughs> um, so the answer here is really simple. Uh, just do what you're told to do. <laughs> is is like in this particular situation. Um, yeah, I would say right now the biggest thing that your average person who is not in healthcare can do um, is to try to lighten the load on the system and just work from home and and do those do those simple things. There is something for everybody to do, no matter how small it is. And even if it feels like a small thing, it can actually be a really big thing. So staying at home, washing your hands, not going out for things that you don't need to go out for. Um, that is what's going to help people in my situation right now. Um, so that, like I say, that we are in this for the long haul. This is not days or weeks. This is months. And even once we get through the whole COVID thing, it's going to be rebuilding our healthcare system and dealing with all of the backlog and complications and fallout that has come from this monumental upheaval of our system. Um, and so I think just keep calm, carry on, keep your head down, do what you're told to do by our lovely public health officials, which is like the coolest specialty in medicine right now. <laughs> okay. So um, that's the official answer. So I'm going to yeah. Brene Brown you right now. Sure. And I'm going to yep. say in three months from now, in three months I'm in now? your community. I'm not just a random member of the public. Mm -hmm. um, what does support look like for you, Dr. Vanessa Sweet, your family, 
What does that look like in three months from now? You're in the midst of this. What does support look like for um, you personally? For me personally, I think in three months from now, um, I don't know what three months from now is going to look like. Um, and this is, you know, Pat and I have been uh, running simulation scenarios in our in our heads um, about what this looks like. And, you know, if we're in a situation like they are in Italy right now where things are just absolutely horrible or New York City where, where things are totally going off the rails, you know, for me personally and professionally, there's just so much uncertainty about the future. You know, if I'm, you know, redeployed to be running ICUs that are overrun by patients who are dying from COVID, you know, am I going to feel safe going home to my husband and my daughter and, you know, that I'm not going to bring this home to them? Um, so I think just being there and acknowledging that this is a really crappy situation for everybody um, and there's just so much uncertainty, you know, I don't know if we're going to keep living in the same house while this all unfolds. So just, just being there and, and acknowledging that this sucks for everybody. So like a text message or a text message, uh, don't come hug me, stay very, stay at least six feet away from me. But yeah, send me a text, you know, you could order me some wine and have it dropped off on my doorstep. Um, that would be really great. Okay. That is great because I think people really get stuck in the, let me know if there's anything I can do. And then it puts it on you to figure out something for the people to do. But if you tell me this now, and this is going to be shared on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have so much wine showing off on my doorstep in three months. This is going to be amazing. (laughs) This is like, takes the pressure off you. And I don't feel like I need to ask again. Um, So thank you for that. And this interview was so great, Vanessa. Like, thank you so much for coming on and being open and sharing really the behind the scenes of what it's like to be you preparing really for, I think this is going to be the biggest challenge of your career. I I think it's going to be really, I'm, I'm interested and excited to see about, to, to see how this all unfolds, to see what happens, to see what we learn, to see what works, to see what doesn't work. And I'm really trying to stay hopeful that we'll be able to to grow from this. And you know, we've had as as terrible a situation as this is, and I don't mean to minimize it at all. Um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so, in the last three weeks here, we've done so much stuff that we have not been able to do in years and years and years. We've telemedicine is is happening now virtual medicine is happening now we've done so much lean process improvement we've created standard work we've done so many incredible things we've done so much collaboration and team building and more and more simulation and there's so much good that can come out of it and i'm just i'm trying to stay hopeful that we can take that and hang on to it at the end of it all that we'll get through this and we'll have achieved a lot of great things that we can hang on to I love that. So I always encourage people to take action within 24 hours after learning something new Mm -hmm. on my podcast. So what do you recommend people do right away to apply what you taught us about taking action, leaving the comfort zone, trying hard things? Ah, So if you're going to do something in the next 24 hours, I would say, uh, hmm, hmm, this is a very hard question. It reminds me of on the Lululemon bags. They've got, I don't know, I haven't 
shopped at Lululemon recently, but they used to have the, they said the do one thing a day that scares you. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I don't do yoga, but I occasionally shop at Lululemon, but they, um, yeah, do one thing a day that scares you. Do something that is a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And if I can, if I can sort of bring it back to the whole like simulation and trying things on for size and trying to poke holes in your plan. Um, if it's a scary thing, it'll be a little bit less scary if you've thought about it before you try it and just sort of run through it in your head. Like even if it's, I mean, gosh, going for groceries right now is a scary thing, right? You know, so even like run through going to get groceries in your head and, and think about how I can plan it out and how can I go through the grocery store and how can I do this in a way that's efficient, effective, safe, what is my plan B if they don't have strawberries when I get there? And yeah, pick something scary and think about it and then it won't be so scary, but do it anyway. I love it. Vanessa, thank you so much for sharing that um, with me today. This interview was so special and I really hope the best for you as you embark on this massive challenge. And I'm so grateful to have people like you in my life, to have all of these amazing healthcare professionals here working to protect all of us. So thank Thank you you so much. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 